Welcome back, everyone. My name is Ryan Anthony Hernandez, and I'm the host of the Truth That Heals podcast. In today's episode, it will be an interview with author Kiyomi O'Connor. She wrote the book A Sky of Infinite Blue, a wonderful book which I highly recommend to the audience. And we talk about this book in our interview, but also we talk about the many layers of healing that she had to go through in her life, in her journey. Enjoy the episode. Thank you. Today I'm with a special guest, author Kiyomi O'Connor. Kiyomi, thank you for joining. Thank you very much for inviting me. I, I'm so thrilled to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. And there's so much about you. And first of all, I really I wanted to mention to the audience that you have a book. And the name of your book is? A Sky of Infinite Blue. A, a subtitle is a Japanese Immigrant Search for Home and Self. No, I I love that. Even in the title, it sounds so poetic. Just by reading the title, it's just it's a beautiful title, and she's hold she's holding it up. Uh, for those who are watching the YouTube, she's holding a copy of it up. And before we really dive into the book, because your story has just so many layers. Uh, you know, I've already mentioned that you're uh, an author, but you've also done other things in life. And there's one part of your story where, because I we've already spoken before this, and you mentioned that uh, besides your difficulties growing up, your your difficulties with family at home as a child, uh, there was a moment in your life when you found yourself taking care of your sick husband, and then eventually being with him as he passed away. Can you share with us that chapter of your life? And then from there, we'll go on to the other chapters of your life. Yes. So um, I came to States in 1990 as a postdoctoral researcher working at NIH. And then uh, through that uh, profession, I met my husband. Uh, to be that time, he was uh, also a postdoc researcher from England. So we met and then we get so close to each other and then we uh, eventually uh, got married. And so, uh, and then through our journey together, we changed the career and then we moved to San Diego, uh, 1998. So we had a great uh, spiritual life together too. Uh, we have a very hectic professional life. He, he has a very uh, busy uh, executive job at this pharmaceutical company. And I was working as a, a pediatric dentist in indigenous Native American community. And uh, by the 2013, uh, he had a, a almost a rapid uh, onset because uh, uh, his diagnosis was uh, uh, metastatic melanoma in the brain. So the any uh, symptom coming from the uh, the brain function usually uh, associated with uh, um, hydrocephalus. 
And so he, he has had a severe headache and uh, he has to go through uh, all of the up and downs associated with his illness. Well, original prognosis was a few months, so he, he a few a few months to live. But uh, uh, with my care and also the advanced medical care, uh, he survived additional three years. But it was a very very difficult, a rapid coastal ride, uh, and but uh, eventually on the in Independence Day, two thousand sixteen, he passed away. And so I was uh, devastated. We had a great spiritual life together. And he was with me for 26 and a half years. And he was a, a great partner and then best friend. He always called me bestest, bestest friend. <laughs> so the best of the best friend. <laughs> so that's how close we are. Uh, but uh, I knew at the uh, onset of uh, his illness, some point he has to pass away. But uh, just facing that death was so devastating because uh, uh, back in, in Japan, I had a, a pretty hard, uh, a lonely uh, life. So s since I came to the States, we built a very meaningful spiritual life together. So losing him was losing my identity myself and my family we didn't have a children so it was a uh, uh taking taken all of uh what i was belong to uh away so it was very hard so uh that hardship uh in the uh, very deep uh in the hardship i was uh, uh always a uh, kind of a pretending to be a warrior because I had to to deal with his illness, go up and down so rapid uh, roast, uh, roller coaster ride. I have to be uh, there for him all the time. We didn't have a children, family. He was from England. I'm from, uh, from Japan. Nobody was basically, and he was very secretive about his illness. So I couldn't disclose to even the friends or community of uh, uh, people in the spiritual community. So uh, we are kind of isolated. And then uh, uh, I'm gonna tell you uh, the uh, listeners, you know, about this part that later on, uh, it was a uh, big regret. You know, I, I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't ask for help, but uh, I should have. So, but anyway, it was a very difficult life. And then in the uh, grieving time, uh, I started to notice uh, I was uh, pretending uh, very strong. Uh, you know, I tried to be perfect. I, I have an imposter syndrome. I always uh, try to be perfect, but I am not perfect. When I'm alone at home, I was... Uh, crushing into like a wailing, like a deep crying. Uh, and then so it was uh, so lonely and uh, so difficult. And then at that, that time, uh, I gradually noticed uh, I have a duality of a life, pretended to be good and okay, but uh, I, I wasn't okay. So that brought to me the, uh, the life I, when I was a child. 
so that that moment when you found yourself grieving with for your husband that was the time when you started to make the connection with your trauma from childhood yes so because uh, uh i was a uh, emotional uh abuse survivor in japan uh even just a three and a half year old it started very early uh in my childhood my father and my father's side of the family always bullied me and then they had done to my mother and then they also categorize me as a mother's child it's a part in part i think it is cultural and i'm a second daughter uh, in in our family and then eldest was categorized as a father's child so she was always treated very specially uh, no matter what she does and but uh, to me uh Every uh, encounter with a, a you know paternal family become like a, a bullying or a, a traumatizing me. And at the beginning, I didn't know what's happening, and I tried try not to take it seriously. Even as a child, I I never cried, and but uh, I I tried to kind of take as a oh, this is an accident, somehow like a, a mistake. And then I was very forgiving. So I, and then it went on. And then eventually it started to feel something must be wrong with me. And then the, the reason they are uh, always targeting me must be me. I'm the one that causing the problem. And then, uh, and then I started to uh, blame myself, like a guilt and shame and then, uh, I was doing pretty well at the school because I have to make a balance by wearing a protective armor on myself. So that protective armor was, uh, you know, the time I was uh, giving my uh, late husband care and also the grieving time, I noticed I was going back to that childhood uh, armor-wearing warrior. So that connection was a really big realization. So for over all those years, you didn't realize that you were wearing this protective armor? Uh, actually, when I was in Japan, uh, even uh, it, it stays with me till like the 20s. Uh, so I had a early twenties. I had a, a su suicide attempt, and then, but uh, still, uh, as it failed, I started to wear the armor again, and then I was uh, conscious about it. So when I was in Japan, I knew I was wearing armor, and then uh, when I came to states, nineteen ninety, I almost escaped like I left everything behind in Japan and I needed to start anew. So that's how I came to States. Of course, I received the invitation to work at the NIH. That was wonderful. But without that escape, you know, the way I can rebuild myself, I don't know what happened, what could happen to me back in Japan. So, but... As I started a new life uh, in the States, 
I have a, a sense of a self day by day. Every difficulty encounter, like a language or communication, any small thing become my nourishment. And then I built kind of a, a practicality in this country and then the strengths and then resilience, uh, resilience to live uh, uh, with more confidence. So that experience made me believe I will be okay. And my husband uh, to be, uh, you know, I met uh, Patrick uh, at that time. So he helped me to heal from the past trauma because he was a very kind, compassionate, uh, unconditional love he poured out to me. So that was a, a wonderful uh, situation. And I thought that I overcame, in, in, you know, the, most of it. But uh, the, uh, at the severe, almost like a severest uh, uh, hardship I encounter as my husband's illness and death, it resurfaced. And I knew I have a residual problem still there. And it met together with my childhood. So, so when you finally made that connection of the childhood trauma resurfacing <laughs> yeah. during this grief, mm -hmm. uh, what did you what did you do to find strength did you read a book did you do something yeah you know uh as i mentioned briefly mentioned my husband i uh started uh practicing buddhist teaching almost as soon as i uh we moved to uh san diego so uh, the practice was very practical practice day by day we can just uh, keep our practice stronger and stronger. And so uh, that uh, practice, Buddhist uh, faith and practice was as a background in me already. So it was uh, growing uh, pretty strong. So uh, definitely uh, it helped. Uh, but uh, um, always, uh, um, uh, you know, I was a kind of a, like a truth seeker, seeker okay. of a truth since my childhood. Uh, for, in, for instance, even I was uh, bullied and then, um, you know, bullied my, my father and then I had a really bad argument at uh, while I was uh, like a 16 year old. Uh, but still amongst, you know, my sisters, you know, I, I have an older and a younger sisters, three of us. I'm the only one uh, confronted uh, my father uh, because uh, the, my father had a little uh, outside marital affair and then had a really impacted our family life, family dynamics, everything. So, but I confronted and then so uh, I couldn't, take my the, the part of my uh, truth seeking. So that truth seeking is the one that I, uh, after I, I realized this duality, went back to the childhood, I needed to find the true myself, what, what's really happening and then how I can uh, go and then, you know, accept 
whatever it is, I need to dig into the truth. That's how I actually started writing. Wow. Okay. This is, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you mentioned something that is very terrifying for some people, and that is confronting a bully. And in your case, unfortunately, the bully in your life was your father. Uh, yes. what, what was that experience like to confront him? You know, uh, he was a bully, and then, but also I always understood where where he he was coming from. He was in a way he was concerned about me too. So you know, as a father, uh, even he was very harsh on me. However, he had some kind of expectation out of me, like he expected I I will be uh, you know great great uh, person but uh, i i wasn't perfect so i was always like a, uh, asked to be the best I, I i couldn't take it you know i was wounded i was traumatized so while he was doing a very uh, unethical thing in uh, to our family i have to speak out for my family, for my mother, and then for uh, everybody. So I, so I have a very strong just <laughs> sense. So I did, and but uh, afterwards it wounded me even more because I felt I'm, you know, even confronted, and but the, in in our culture it wasn't allowed. It was a taboo. Absolutely taboo. You know, as a girl, uh, a daughter, and then uh, I was a second daughter, and then you know, father was uh, like a something very. Uh, it's not a god, but but a very important. Yeah. And then even he did uh, something wrong, criticizing that piece uh, for the sake of my family wasn't allowed, but I did, and but I, I know he was deeply hot and i i took it very uh deep inside me too so we both hurt <laughs> so so after that confrontation did you stop talking or you know uh at that time he had a uh, uh outside uh, marital uh, affair and then he uh he had a baby baby daughter and then that was a big finding. And then so he was kind of a, a little uh, waiting to be escaped for a while from our family too, because he was threatened by the uh, woman's family. You yes. know, he, he, my, my father was in a very important uh, position at the university. So uh, they threatened. So he, he, he had a very difficult situation, but I felt uh, basically I helped him to uh, separate uh, himself from our family for the sake of uh, maintaining that affair. So it was complex, but uh, so in a way I helped him to escape from our family, but uh, uh, he found it to be kind of relieved, <laughs> okay. relieved from the pressure from our family, and then he can escape to another another family. And so, 
it was very difficult family dynamics, and but I took it very seriously, hurting myself. Yeah, I I I, I gathered courage to tell him, but I got hot. <laughs> yes, and um, you you also mentioned a little bit earlier how you had a lot of roots with, uh, with your spiritual side, mm-hmm. uh, as as this was happening in your life this uh confrontation and mm-hmm. and you and your father moving on and all this uh, mm-hmm. how was your spiritual life at that time was there a, a point where you you thought to yourself i don't want to have a spiritual life i just want to no i i i was uh, i think i if looking back uh since my childhood you know i was a truth seeker and then always uh, spiritual spirituality was very important to me. But uh, once uh, the darkness started to just uh, cast over me, and then that cast uh, made me feel more inflicted, like uh, the blaming myself. But uh, th- that's also the sad part of what we may be talking about. We have to get get out of this cycle of inflicting self. So, but uh, I was very sensitive to what I was thinking and what's going on in the life, but uh, I didn't have a help. So that's why I, I went to pretty going downward. But uh, academically speaking, at the at university, I had an armor and I did pretty well. So that's why that uh, it took me to graduate school, and then uh, even to come to the States as a, a researcher. So I was doing well, but uh, it, my inner world was uh, pretty much going downward down, downward at that time. So as, as you look back mm-hmm. uh, and you see this, this downward movement, but academically mm-hmm. you're going upwards, mm-hmm. Was this part of your inspiration to write your book? Oh, definitely. I mean, so the the duality of life is there. So uh, after I lost my my uh, husband, I was uh, pretended to be normal and then okay, I am strong enough and confident enough, but. On the other hand, I was so lonely and sad and in sorrows, and I was crushing in pieces, but I couldn't show myself to anyone. So that two separated, kind of a polarized lifestyle was there in the childhood. But uh, uh, because of my uh, Buddhism and then uh, writing helped me to bring these two separate worlds into the middle and then it's almost like uplifted so that's a uh, very deep what you're saying <laughs> it's, it's also it's also very philosophical in a sense uh yes uh, i i tend to be uh very uh deep in thought <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So would you would you say that writing uh, contributed to yes. to bringing resilience into your life? Oh, oh, definitely. Uh, when I started uh, writing, 
I couldn't bring out all of the truth. The, the very first uh, draft was very emotional because I was still crying and hurting and, you know, in sorrows. And, but uh, um, I knew I have to go deeper, but uh, to go deeper, it may hurt me even more. I have to visit the, the myself in the past and, uh, you know, the, the past I was really hurt as a child. So all of the uh, painful, uh, traumatized me needs to be resurfaced. So uh, in I cried a lot while I was uh, writing, but I was deter I determined myself to to uh, to face it. So because only only acceptance of what it was will make me uh, transform. I knew it, so that's why it become like a my spiritual practice. So sometimes. Uh, uh, adversity, hardship has a seed of uh, transformation. So I knew from my experience in the past. So even though it was so difficult, I needed to find the truth and then digging into the uh, finding myself to accept what it was. I, I think that what, what you've just mentioned right now is something very difficult for many people who go through trauma because what you're sharing is you had to look back at those old wounds mm -hmm. and even though they were hard to look at you still confronted mm -hmm. not only your father but your mm -hmm. own wounds because yeah. you wanted as you just said you wanted to have transformation yes was there ever a a part of you that was afraid of transformation and was there a part of you that wanted to stay the same and pretend like nothing bad was happening? You know, uh, when I was uh, uh, very young, still I didn't have any face. Of course, uh, uh, facing the, the reality and then facing the truth could be a more conditional choice. You know, I, I have a choice. I, I just hide and I put the, all of the uh, stuff on top and then pretend it to be nothing. You, but uh, uh, since I have a face in, in spirituality, so I know how wonderful it, it would be if I excavate and accept and then the outcome is going to be you know, all, all of the traumas like a, is like almost like a potatoes, you know, under the uh, under the soil, yes, under the uh, dirt. They are connected. Roots are kind of connected. So when you pull one potato, the second one, third one, everything may be connected through it. So I knew if I dig digging into the potato. The next potato may be connected, and then coming, and uh, it's it become like almost a, a total, like a wholeness is coming up. I think that some people, even myself, in the beginning, I was hoping that the healing journey would be instantaneous. Is the healing journey is it quick or does it take time? 
Oh, it de definitely takes time. I think that the, at the beginning, I, I as I mentioned, even I was I been a, a Buddhist practitioner for many years. At the beginning, because of the magnitude of the sorrow and then adversity was so big, almost too big. So you have to go uh, breaking in small pieces, not just like whack, jumping <laughs> yeah, yes. on the whole thing. So uh, you need a kind of a preparation. You little by little, you need to pause yourself and breathe, and then see a little bit, you know, from surface to deeper and deeper and deeper, it takes time. I think to me, my spiritual journey is a whole my life, basically. So, uh, you, you know, some easy stuff, maybe you can do uh, almost instant, instantaneously or maybe 10 days or maybe one year, but uh, it takes your own uh, resilience and then uh, consistent, consistent practice to see yourself like a face, facing the reality is a very tough thing. Sometimes you need a break, pause, and then you need to just look after yourself. You know, like a, we tend to forget, uh, we are very kind to other people, but uh, sometimes we forget to be kind to ourselves. So self-care, self-love uh, is definitely as you, you accept yourself as you are, you have to love yourself too. What does it mean to be kind to yourself? Because I think that some people may think being kind to myself means uh, going to shop or going <laughs> to, that, 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 that can be kind. Uh, for some people, but in in your life, in your in, mm. through your journey, uh, what's an example of practicing kindness and love for the self? Yes. So, um, to me, life is not to consume. Consume means like a shopping, mm. you know. So, we we need to earn our lives. So in order for, for us to do it, you, you, we have to be involved, committed. So to commit sometimes the pain involved, right? So depending on the, the, how much pain involved, sometimes you have to take a little break. And then, so it doesn't mean to be selfish, but uh, uh, you need uh, duty respect yourself like uh, uh, giving, giving yourself space. Because if something happened, we usually are not blaming, complaining about external stimulants or like assorted from outside, but eventually we started to blame ourselves like shame or guilt or uh, always self-criticism is the one killing us. So that cycle, vicious cycle needs to be stopped. So once it is started, it's an unnecessary cycle. So you need to stop, but that's the self-care. Okay, well, that is a beautiful <laughs> answer. And I think that many in the audience, including myself, are mm -hmm. we're learning so much from what, <laughs> what you've had to say. Um, and now since you've been on your on your healing journey, you've you've written a, a book and you've done mm -hmm. so much. 
Uh, how much has life changed for you? Um, you know, writing book uh, was a uh, part of my spiritual practice. At the beginning, I didn't know what uh, what's going to happen and where I am heading, but I wanted to face and accept whatever it is. So, of course, grieving is uh, uh, not something to overcome because uh, I loved him so much. So the love is still there. So it remains in me. But uh, unnecessary uh, the uh, self-inflicting uh, sadness or the, uh, uh, you know, often in grieving some of the uh, typical uh, criticism to self is, I could have done this or I should have done this. This is a part of a criticism. It, it, it shouldn't work because it, it, the fact is he is dead. And I did uh, the best I could. Even I may not be perfect. So try to be perfect all the time is the one kidding us, right? Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, by by realize all of this, uh, you know, self realization, and then I I think I transform transform myself, including my childhood trauma, all together, and I have a very uh, happy life, uh, happy, and of course, emotion happens. Emotion is a good, good thing, and then it, it telling us a lot of a thing. And then I am living in a, a life like a emotion comes and better let it go, kind of good or bad, or that judgment is on the side. I try not to judge myself, good or bad, but that's because uh, causing self inflicted criticism. So I just let, let it happen. And then emotion happens and like almost like a wind or the breeze or a stream or something. I try to observe myself like outside of my body. You know, as a Buddhist, I think that's a really good practice. You know, try to be outside of my body and then see from above my uh, above and then what's going on in, in me and then in the surroundings. And I hope everybody, uh, you know, our love and hope all together. And then that's the one that truly uplifting us. And I, lo I love all that you said, because if we, and you mentioned, you mentioned this earlier about like, you know, when you stay, when you stay too focused on problems or, you know, our faults, I think you mentioned about like, there's like a shame or like a guilt mm -hmm. and it gets, it gets very depressing, but I love this advice of, holding mm -hmm. on to hope, holding mm -hmm. on to good, and then being like yeah. a stream, allowing for that to pass. Yes. I think the, we want to be perfect, but uh, if we are truly to ourselves and then to what's happening, to the the fact of what happened, like a reality should be no judgmental, and it just uh, that's it is. It is what it is. And if you know what it is, you don't have to judge yourself and then you just let it happen and then let it go. And then life is in a stream. 
life is in a like almost like a breeze beautiful and um since uh we're already coming towards the end of mm -hmm. the podcast of mm -hmm. this interview mm -hmm. i want to hear about your book uh it has a beautiful name the sky of infinite blue i love it uh what can <laughs> the readers uh what can they learn from reading your book uh you know uh my book uh, has, of course, you know, the, describing about my spiritual journey. So childhood trauma or the, even the grief from um, uh, my husband's illness, this are uh, there. But uh, uh, every single like uh, uh, scenes or uh, difficulties, you may find the light. And then the light comes all together. And then it, it brings you to the, the state, everything is going to be okay. Oh, wow. So I <laughs> I am looking forward to reading your book. And to the audience, uh, get a copy. Uh, where can they get a copy of your book? Uh, you can go to my website, uh, kiyomiokona.com, or you can go to Amazon. Amazon, uh, I don't have an audio uh Audible, I'm sorry, but but a uh, ebook or a paperback. So um, you can go to Amazon, and then if you can even uh, visit me on Substack, I have a newsletter every week. So uh, so we can communicate through uh, comments and, and feedbacks, and so that will be exciting. <laughs> Excellent. And again, to the audience, go get yourself a copy of Kiyomi's book. And yes. Kiyomi, I want to give you the mic for the ending. Uh, do you have any last words for people out there who may be struggling through difficult situations? Mm -hmm. Any words mm -hmm. of advice for, for them in the audience? Uh, yes. So um, the life is... a. Uh, not really you uh um you you just a picture as like a just only beautiful great life bring you sometimes the sadness or difficulties but it is a life but through that difficulties we can all grow and then we have a great potentials and we have a hope and we are so we don't, even we don't know, but we are interconnected through the love and the light. So we are not alone. You are not alone. So everybody is connected. So uh, please connect me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Kelmi, for your words of inspiration and sharing your journey, not only of healing, but also of resilience and overcoming trials in life. Thank you very much. I, I'm so happy. Thank you very much for having me. And to the audience, thank you so much for listening. I've been your host, Ryan Anthony Hernandez, on the Truth That Heals podcast with our special guest, Kiyomi O'Connor. Have a wonderful day.